And that's, that's when I said to her that, ma'am, that's not a cell phone. That's my foot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, God. No. It's a good one. I don't, I don't get it. Mm. Um. You owe when you're older. Oh, okay. Oh. Welcome back, everyone, hey. to this week's new episode of the, of good old, your favorite you're, you know it well by now, explaining to Austin, you know me, as usual, Peyton here, and oh. then we also have the other one here. That's, um, that'd be me. Fr- yep. Frank, uh, uh, wait, what, what's my name again? Uh, can't remember. Couldn't care. Okay. Uh, don't care. Good, Couldn't good, care good, less. Good, good idea. I, internally, I just refer to you as, uh, dumb shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Austin? Oh, hey. You that's did, it. That, oh, that's it. See, it was just... I forgot. It was deep Sub- inside subconscious. me. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's up? Uh, just ate some Waffle House. Ooh, we got the Waffle. Not Waho. sponsored. Um, now I'm drinking a, uh, uh, yeah, a beer. I didn't ask... I was gonna set it up and go and phrase it and say, you, uh, you, uh, you, uh, lube in your gullet with anything right now? Well, you know, now that you asked, I am drinking a beer and also a glass of water to keep this, to keep the dulcet tones of my voice fresh. A peeber? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Good old peeber. Uh, right now I'm drinking, um, what do you call this? A, uh, um, uh, um, uh, a squilk, squilk make? Um, no, um, uh, a, a squimp, uh, mi- uh, mimp, uh, mimp squake, um, uh, milkshake? Uh, uh, thick boy, milkshake. That's, That's it. it. Milkshake. I uh, always forget that word. Butterfinger milkshake. From Bookout? From Bookout? No. I don't think... No. Do they have a Butterfinger milkshake at Cookout? I believe they do, actually. Oh, I got mine at uh, a local establishment downtown. Oh, okay. You know the one. The, the one that spills? Yeah. Yeah. It's a mess. Oh, God. It's all over it. my desk and computer. It's seeping into the hard That's drive. That's guarantee is that your milkshake will spill. All of my files are being corroded by sticky sugar milkshake. <laughs> Straight into the hard drive. I hope it was worth it. Irreplaceable memories and projects in my Family saved, photos. On, saved on my laptop. My dick pics. All of yours. All of them. All of your dick pics. Because it's that arrangement we have where I have to get approval from you. I need a, I, I need send. a weekly I have to get a weekly uh, inspection picture. Yeah, well and if I'm gonna send a nude to anyone else, you have to inspect it first. And yeah, we all know this. I give you the go ahead. I appreciate that. I'm like it's chain of command, you know? You gotta get it approved by me first. Right. Ever since we started this podcast. Yeah. I can't tell if it's a professional relationship or a kink one. Uh well you ever considered that it's both? I like that. That's even kinkier. Yeah. I'll wear a pencil skirt. Nice. Um I'm really hoping that this week I, I checked everything just now before we started. It seems to be working. Um, yeah, but your audio sounds great. Really, yeah, because I'm hoping I, I didn't. I'm not shitting my doo doo ass this week like I did <laughs> the first thirty minutes of last week uh, with the audio. Not only for the sake of the podcast, but for the sake of me not having to do as much work. Because you know, 
I had to put in some extra work last week editing to yeah. make it at least sound to me, you know, listenable. Oh, also just want to give a quick congratulations to the individual who uh, bought last week's NFT. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're listening to this one, also congratulations. Yeah, that's what we call a callback joke. <laughs> Let's keep it running forever. Let's also give a shout out while we're going to... to um, to whoever on uh, Apple Podcasts, username B Natty, uh, gave us the review, said, "Now that's podcasting," and a reference um, uh, to pod, the um, pod racing line in Star Wars Episode One. Yeah, it's probably you know who left that review, Austin. Probably Brew. Probably this guy we know. He's a real piece of shit. <laughs> wow. I went to high school with him. We Always both. tweeting about sports. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> I, if it's not him, this is just like a completely superfluous We're just being tangent. mean to a stranger. Well, you know, Bruce still, no, deserve, still mean- Bruce deserves all of that, but we're just being mean with no, no, with no prompting. He deserves the world, baby. Yeah. yeah, he does. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. Damn right, it's better than yours. I could teach you. Well, Austin, yes. this, this this week's episode, I've gone a little a little leaner, a little trimmer, did a little did something mm. different than we've done a little so spring far. Spring cleaning? No. Oh, okay. Uh, don't know how I would spin that metaphor into what I'm talking about. Good try though. Uh, Thank you. Um, went went we didn't I'm uh and I didn't do a movie this week. <gasps> Wait, we didn't? No movie. It's no movie. something shorter. Not a TV show either. Like visually shorter or like time length? Uh, what do you mean visually? Like the aspect ratio is smaller? Like it's a shorter individual, like oh. Peter Dinklage? Oh, it's like a movie about a short individual? Uh, no, it's the second thing. Time, uh, the running time is well, shorter. Honest, that makes a lot more sense than the first yeah. thing. It's not a, well, the thing is, it's not only is it not a movie, but it's also not a TV show. Well, then damn episode. it, Peyton, what in the hell is it? Well, Austin, I told you, so... Oh, that's right, you did. Why don't you tell the audience? It's the um, 80s, 1980s Disneyland 4D experience starring Michael Jackson, Captain EO. That is right, Austin. Wow, I'm glad I got all that right. I didn't even look at a paper. Yep, that's good memory on on that brain. Not much else, but memory, you got it there. I rolled pretty high for memory. Um... Yes, that is correct, Austin, what you just said. We are, today's episode, I will be explaining the Disney attraction film, 4D experience film thing from, uh, premiered in 1986, uh, starring Michael Jackson, you are correct. Captain EO, uh, that is our topic. Now, Austin, besides what you just recited, which I informed you of yesterday, uh, you, what, you have any questions, you know anything else, you know the routine, what, what you got for me? So, I don't have that many questions this time, because I feel like I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? You hear my, I'm, if you hear a noise, I'm blowing into my milkshake, because it's got that thing right now where it's like, there's something too big, All and it's clogging the straw. There's a chunk in the straw, there's a, there's a clog. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. 
Uh, right out the gate, I want to know what it cost Disney to make. Good question. Do you have an answer for me? Oh, you want me to go now? Oh, you can. I can just keep asking. I don't care. Uh, no, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll answer now. Um, uh, I'll get into okay. this more when I present. Uh, kind of, I have a, I have a bit of a timeline sort of uh, explanation of the background of this uh, experience slash short film. Nice. But and so the number I'm about to give you doesn't necessarily include you know the actual building that they in you know design of the building where they put the attraction nor okay, does okay. it include the the number i'm about to give you is solely the production cost of filming this oh wonderful okay. of pre-production and filming okay uh let me get close to the mic 23.7 million dollars I don't know what I thought it was going to cost, but it was nowhere near that high. Now, Austin, you, uh, I just gave you a large number. Uh, do you know how long this experience is? You said it's like 20 minutes, right? It's, it's, a, it's about exactly about 17 and change. So that equates... That's more than a million dollars a minute. 1.4 million a minute. Quick math. Well, I have it written down. Smart. And in today's money, huh. 23.7 million is around 53 point and something million. Oh my fuck. For the time, uh, I don't know if this still stands or not, but at the time, anyway, it was the most expensive film project ever made compared to its length. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, as we'll get into, it's uh, not a, not a, they, they, they spared no expense, to quote Jurassic Park clearly so um okay wow yep uh who else is in it besides senior michael that was milkshake noise milkshake noise um besides michel jackson uh as they say in france uh not much it's mostly michael jackson and a bunch of like puppets puppets um well you know creatures okay puppeteered effects people in a suit if you will um but uh besides michael jackson the only other big name in this is um angelica houston she plays the bad evil woman okay i'm not familiar with angelica houston uh i know she was i don't know if she remained or still is but at least at one time she was married to jack nicholson um most famous probably for playing um Morticia Adams in the film reboots from the 90s of the Adams family. Oh, with like Adams family values and stuff? Yeah, yeah. She's also, uh, I don't know why I remember this or know this, I think because I just saw the movie a lot as a kid because we had it on DVD. She's also in uh, Daddy Daycare with okay, good. starring Eddie Murphy. Perfect. And Angelica <laughs> Houston. Wow, lovely. Okay. Um, so I know it's called Captain EO. What does EO stand for? Well, good question. And is it electric octopus? I wish. Me too. No. The the EO is actually an illusion, and that's illusion with an A, not an I. Um, ah, yes. A literary illusion to the, uh, I want to say, what was it? The Greek goddess of the dawn. Okay. Because that relates to 
Michael Jackson's character in this film happens to deal with light. He's related in light to some ways, both thematically and literally. So they did huh. that little bit of a little bit of a literary illusion. That's not a bit. By I like the way. that. That's a serious answer. No, I, I believe you. Um, and the last thing is just uh, why. That's it. That's that's all I had. Now is that why going? Is that why I directed it? Me for choosing this is just why I directed at the people in charge of the Walt Disney Company at the time it was made. Uh, what is this why? Who and what is this why directed to? Actually, let's go both of those. Well, why me uh, was uh, I was tired and lazy yesterday, and I didn't want to watch a whole movie and write notes because it's yeah, hard yeah, and good. is tiring because it's like watching a movie, but then you're also writing a bunch and pausing it. Sorry, I'll paint in the right, ass. Right, right. Uh, and I was tired. Also, I just wanted to mix it up. I wanted to show that we don't just do movies. We're more. We we don't know. We can do other things. We ain't no one trick pony. Yeah, we're at least a three or four trick pony. Yeah, still not great, um, but you know it's better than one. And also, like I never watched the you know short film all the way through, the experience all the way through, um, and it seemed interesting from what I remember you know learning in the past. It seemed it's got an interesting story behind it as I'll go into. Um, so yeah, I just thought it would be a fun topic. Um, I like that. As for the why of Disney, I'll get into this a little bit more, but if you know anything about the history of the Walt Disney Company, the late 80s, mid to late 80s, when this ride was thought up and then premiered, um, was kind of a, a, a real down, a slump period for Disney, both in terms of uh, theme park and in terms of uh, you know just overall movies being released and company. So this was really their kind of push, one of many projects that really was kind of banking on a, a big celebrity name, a big event, a big spectacle, really to try to hopefully draw new audience or old audience back in. Ah. Okay. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are my questions. All right. I got to be honest with you, Austin, completely unrelated to what we were just talking about, but dang clumps keep getting stuck in this damn milkshake straw, and it's pissing me off. You should go get a spoon. Mm. Eat it like ice cream, baby. Well, like the rest of it's already melted in basically complete liquid. It's just mm. like the occasional chunk. Yeah, they don't blend very well at that place. Yeah. Maybe you should have just stuck with a normal cone, but I was afraid of of the, the difficulty of, of carrying that around. Yeah. Having to hold that while trying to do this. You know, cars have cup holders, but not once has a manufacturer made a cone holder. That's true. Maybe they, should get, maybe they should get that on the market. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to work on that. Yeah. So, well, you've asked your questions, which tie into what I'm about to go into anyway. But regardless, are you ready to hear my, my kind of uh, research slash background info on this experience, Austin? I've never been more ready for anything. That's good. Well, I'll tell you this. Tell me. So Captain EO, we'll get into this later, but um, it was a ride that debuted at, uh, or debuted um, at Disneyland and Epcot in 1986. Okay. It kind of began, it's, uh, you know, the process of it being made and beginning started in 1984, 
this was two years after the release of uh, Michael Jackson's uh, big hit. Well, not his first hit, but definitely, you know, the biggest hit to date of in his career at that time. Uh, Thriller? Thriller, yes. Oh, yeah. Great album. Um, and so, you know, basically, you know, Michael Jackson was top of the world uh, that time in terms of popularity. Um, he was a huge Disney fan, uh, Michael Jackson was. That's not surprising. No. Uh, and he really wanted to do, like, a movie or, or some. He wanted to do something with Disney, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, can I ask? I'm going to pause a second. Not literally, like, the recording, but pause my dialogue. What are you, what are you rustling a pile of papers over there? Oh, is there a lot of noise? There was a there was a rustle. There was a Kurt Russell. You know, uh, I've had a couple people tell me recently that when I wear my hair like down and like tucked behind my ears, that I look like Kurt Russell. That's not a bad compliment to get. No, I'll take that. And mm-hmm. if I look half as good as he does when I'm his age, I'll be thrilled. You ever seen his son? No, I have not. He's an actor. I'm gonna, what's his name? When he's at Wyatt Russell, when he has a beard, he really looks like Kurt Russell. Without the beard, not so much, but definitely with the beard. Oh, but yeah, the only um, the rustling sound. I was uh, wiping off my phone with a screen cleaning wipe, and I didn't think it was that loud. Well, it was. It was. It was horribly obnoxious. Well, I'm sorry. That's just my ADHD fucking fidgety self. Yeah. All right. <laughs> ah! Well, uh, you know, okay. in terms of that, I'd just say, um, you know, just you're going to want to, you know, uh, stop that or, uh, you know, I can always find a new co-host. I can always rename the show. You wouldn't dare. <laughs> you okay. don't have the goal. So, yeah. So, like I said, um, back on to the topic at hand, uh, Michael Jackson was interested in Disney. And then this was right around the time, I think, uh, I think I don't know what exactly what year it was. Either eighty four or eighty five was right the time when Disney got its new management. Basically, that's when Michael Eisner came in from. Uh, he switched over from Paramount. He came in new executive for the Walt Disney Company. As well, he brought in his uh, his kind of. He, uh, technically, he was underneath Eisner, but they very much worked as kind of like a team. Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, founder, okay. founder of, founder of Quibi. Oh, rest known, in peace. Known, known in modern times as founder of Quibi. Of course, though, he'd later go on to do, er, uh, he'd do DreamWorks and all that as well. But, sure, uh, sure. Nowadays, the kids know him for, for Quibi. Is Quibi uh, still around? I don't know. No, it's dead. It it's dead. Yeah, as, it's, de- it's like a dead dog. It was as dead as quick as it came into the world, right? It died in about one Quibi's length, which was <laughs> about a 15 men. Yeah, it died in a Quibi. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. So Eisner and Katzenberg come in. They're the new, basically, top people at Disney to really – they brought him in at really to hopefully give the company a new chance, you know, as they were kind of languishing right now in this period. And so uh, there was interest um, from Eisner and Katzenberg. Their kind of – one of their big pushes to hopefully help the company was to really do projects – both film and theme park, with big names. Uh, so obviously they were interested not only in Michael Jackson, who was debatably you know the biggest pop star or music star in general at the time. Some would refer to him as the king of pop. Some would. Uh, but so not only were they interested in Michael Jackson, but also they were interested in um, 
George Lucas, of course, uh, coming hot off the trails of the third installment of the original Star Wars trilogy, uh, Return of the Jedi. Obviously, Lucas was a... They wanted to get involved with Lucas. He was a superstar. Yes, he was. Um, So, you know, they wanted these big names. Also, you know, at that time, hard to think now with everything, but of course, back then, Disney didn't really own any... uh, you know, the properties they own now. They didn't have a Star Wars <laughs> or a Marvel. They had nothing. And so, you know, of course, Lucas was a big draw. They wanted to make some IP of their own that would be a real hit. Um, so they go to these guys and they're like, let's do a theme park ride thing. And kind of off the bat, Michael Jackson's obviously super interested, but because he knows it's going to be like a filmed experience that, you know, involves like a movie of sorts, he required for this deal to go through that either Spielberg or George Lucas um, were involved. Those are his kind of like caveat. He's like, I need, I want one of either one of them involved just so I know, because I want this to be like top quality stuff that we're going to make. That's smart. Yeah. Um, also, before I go on, I want to mention I got a lot of this info from a really uh, great YouTube channel that I watch all the time in general, but used went back and watched this their video on this specifically preparing for today. Um, it's called Defunct Land. They have a whole series on basically the history of Disney World and rides and attractions that aren't there anymore. It's an amazing channel, really great research. So props to them. That's where I got a lot of this these facts. I think my brother watches them pretty avidly. Yeah, I mean, it's really good stuff, like documentary-level quality, like, episodes. Um, So, yeah, so MJ had that requirement. Spielberg was busy at the time with the film, but George Lucas was available, and he was interested not only for this attraction, but also at the same time he was kind of crafting and coming up with Star Tours, uh, the original version of Star Tours for Disney. So Lucas was very much along for the ride. I get it. So... In terms of casting, besides MJ, as I mentioned, the other you know name in this who plays the villain is Angelica Houston. But right. originally they wanted uh, Shelley Duvall. Okay. Famous from The Shining and other things. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but they couldn't get here, so they ended up with Angelica Houston. Now, uh, originally... One of the names, George Lucas was interested. He wanted to be involved, but he didn't want to direct because as kind of famous with George Lucas, everyone thinks of him as a director, but you know, he, all of the best quote unquote George Lucas things, meaning like Star Wars, besides the first one, of course, he didn't direct Empire, nor did he direct, um, nor did he direct uh, Return of the Jedi. He was so a producer, he, right? He produced and co-wrote and, you know, oversaw everything, but he didn't do the actual directing because I think he enjoys directing, but at the same time, I think he also enjoys that producing kind of, you know, managerial type uh, oversight, creative oversight, rather than the on-the-ground directing. Um, so it George to suit him better based yeah. on what movies are good in Star Wars that's versus true. which aren't. Yeah, that, that's that's fair point. So Lucas did not want to direct it. He was involved and was willing to co-write and help produce this, um, but he didn't want to direct it himself. One of the original names considered for this was um, the director John Landis. Are you familiar with John John Landis, Austin? Uh, I know the name, but I don't know why. Uh, Director of of many films, uh, lots of uh, 
uh, horror and comedy, uh, American Werewolf in London. Of course, in the 80s, he would go on to okay. do stuff like, um, let's see, Trading Places. I think Trading Places. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he did Trading Places. I know for a fact he did Coming to America, Blues oh, Brothers. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, John, uh, of course, though, also John Landis is uh, notorious because of his horrible, intentional uh, cost-cutting negligence that he participated in on the set of the Twilight Zone movie that resulted in two children dying. Oh, my uh, God. For which he, he expressed no remorse, nor did he ever have to serve jail time for. Uh, so well, that's just all kinds of fucked. Yeah, uh, good director, but uh, not a great person. Um <laughs> Yeah, he was originally him. considered as director, but he didn't. Now, Austin, you want to know who the director they ended up going with was? Hmm. Uh, none other than uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Oh. Director of uh, such classic hit films as The Godfather, Godfather Part uh, Deux, uh, right. Apocalypse Now, uh, oh. this was afterwards, but, uh, of course, um, the, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, Shit. but yes, Francis Ford Coppola. Now, does that surprise you, Austin? I'm decently surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm, now, uh, pretty shocked, I'd say. Are you, you're, you're, sh- you're shook to the bone? I'm shaking in my boots. That's good to know. Um, now do you want to know how and why Coppola became attached to this? I would. Is can I take a guess? Sure. Did he have anything to do with Thriller? Good good question. Actually, that's also a good point. I forgot to bring this up. John Landis directed the Thriller video as well. In, a, ah. in addition to his other credits. So that's I think that's why Landis was their initial thought. But back to on topic. Obviously, as I just said, it was Landis. So no, Coppola was not involved with Thriller. Without getting okay. too mired in... <laughs> Without without delving into a full biography slash film history course, uh, let's 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 turn back time. Let's jump back to to the late sixties, early seventies. Okay. Okay. So. Should we get in the time machine? Well, of course. All right. I um. It's new and it's 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 overdue for an oil change. So like, if it's a a bumpy ride, just please bear with me. Okay. Are we in it? Uh, sure, yeah. If you say so. So, are, can we go back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, God. No, oh, yep. that was the time going backwards, right? Yeah, no, it just sounds like me hitting my desk with my knee. Yeah. Um. Okay, so, late 60s, early 70s, of course, kind of the boom of the new independent film movement in, in, in Hollywood, in America. Um... You know, obviously, the big names to come out of that period are your people like, you know, Coppola and, uh, you know, Altman and, you know, Terrence Malick's, your, uh, who else, um, your Bogdanovich's, uh, etc. Sure. So, you know, that big movement. But within that movement, um, Coppola, after his success with The Godfather, the breakout, you know, hit that it was. I've heard um, of it. He founded American Zoetrope as kind of this independent collective film company of all of these kind of, you know, independent guys who had kind of gotten their big, big break into the system, or at least a couple of big guys, people he knew, people he liked who, 
you know, were kind of underground, but had these contacts, had their break. Within okay. that group was, in fact, George Lucas. And it was through Coppola that George Lucas actually kind of got his start with his, he had his student film, uh, THX, uh, I can't remember the numbers that always go along with it, but is his science fiction film THX, which Van Coppola uh, basically convinced the studios to finance for Lucas to make as like a full-fledged movie. Uh, it nice. didn't do well. Um, okay. So then they went on with Lucas uh, directing American Graffiti, which did do well. American Graffiti, of course, starring Austin. Michael Jackson. No, Ron Howard. Oh, Ron. Oh, it always goes back to Ron Howard, as we it's always back said to Ron before. Howard. Goddamn it! Always. Um. So. Uh, I have a wall covered in pictures of him with calendars and red string going across the room I record this in. Yeah. Well, it's fitting. He's connected to everything. So. Basically, Coppola works with Lucas, gets him basically started in the industry. They're good. They're collaborators. They're friends. As time moves on through the 70s and into the 80s, they kind of they're not working together anymore, but they're still very much both born out of and bred from that indie film scene of the 60s. Coppola, in many ways, was basically like a mentor to George Lucas. And of course, you know, Coppola had The Godfather and Part 2 and Apocalypse Now and would go on to be very successful with all of that. Lucas, sure. of course, his success with Star Wars. They took very kind of divergent paths in terms of one being very blockbuster, one being very, you know, independent or, you know, kind of these artistic, you know, films more, if you could say that. But they were very much still connected. They hadn't worked together since Lucas had. Lucas originally was going to direct Apocalypse Now, but changed his mind after Star Wars was such a success. So Coppola ends up doing Apocalypse Now. They hadn't worked together really or done any projects or even, you know, seen any projects because Lucas, of course, was involved with Star Wars. So right. Lucas decides, oh, you know, Francis would, you know, be willing to direct Captain EO. So all of okay. that I just said establishes you know establishes their connection and why it would be natural for one to go to the other and say would you like to help on this but why austin do you know why or why do you have any thoughts on why someone as uh oscar winning uh renowned uh sort of as you'd say a very much an auteur like francis ford coppola agree to lucas's proposition to do something as you know not, um, you know, not a grand film as a, as a 17 minute theme park ride starring Michael Jackson. Do you know, you have any thoughts of why? Uh, George Lucas had incriminating evidence on him that he was using his blackmail. As far as I know, that is not true, but, uh, you know, um, he was being offered an insane sum of money. Uh, well, that that could be true. I don't know if, how much he got paid. Obviously, they went way over budget in terms of the budget for the film. I don't know how much Francis Ford Coppola got paid individually, mm -hmm. though. Uh, and back to your first guess, um, as far as I know, that's not true. But I, I you know, George Lucas, you know, seems plausible to me. The guy could have dirt on many people. Uh, he certainly has a lot of money, has the means. Um, but no, let me continue this history for you. So I've been kind of talking about the Lucas Coppola relationship. Now let me focus on Coppola. So of course, huge hits, Godfather, Godfather part two, 
uh, obviously the uh, he did a movie called smaller movie called The Conversation that was in between those. Uh, that was also very good and award winning, just smaller. Of course, then he goes in goes and does Apocalypse Now, which I don't know if you know anything about Apocalypse Now, but of um, I know what it is. You know what it is, but um, famously had a very long, uh, way over budget, you know, ridiculously uh, long and convoluted and difficult. Uh, production in the Philippines for several years, um, but of course it comes out and it's great and it's amazing and you know plenty of praise. Yeah. After that, though, I don't remember if it's the next film he tried or if there was one in between. But Coppola, he was kind of over the whole. You know, with Apocalypse Now, it's very much a movie that's filmed in the elements. It's very you know it's it's they filmed it in the jungle. They were in the jungle for you know year. You know, they were really in the shit, so to speak. But Coppola had this idea he really wanted to do. He had this, he wanted to do films that had this level of artifice that, you know, he kind of wanted to go back to this style, almost old Hollywood-esque of like shooting everything in a studio. And it's all very kind of like um, aestheticized and dramatic, you know, very, you know, kind of an artifice, but intentional. Sure, sure. Uh, so he founds with American Zoetrope, this company I talked about, he decides he's going to make this movie called One from the Heart. It's a musical. Um, they bought, you know, a huge, uh, production, uh, place studio where they filmed the whole movie. They filmed all the sets, you know, they built all the sets there. They shot it all there. It, it was a very big, way over budget, super involved process that, despite him putting all of his passion and hard work into it, it was both critically and commercially a disaster. Oh. It bankrupted American Zoetrope, which oh. ceased to exist after. And Coppola was majorly in the red. Basically all of the money and, and, you know, success he had gotten through, you know, Godfather part one through apocalypse. Now via one from the heart being such a disaster, uh, commercially uh he basically lost all of that you know financial level so going into this period around the time of captain eo uh let's just say that frankie was hurting for a paycheck uh so it was the money Mm-hmm. so it's always the money i mean i'm assuming they paid him well but you know for this but also they were like you know I mean, it is a good opportunity, and they allowed him and Lucas to have pretty much, you know, free creative control beyond a few constraints, and I'm sure Michael Jackson had input as well. But for the most part, very, very, you know, free of control, which, of course, you know, leads to them being $23.7 million uh, and way over budget. So that's kind of the background. That's kind of the interesting history of it. Um, some more quick facts just before we get into the actual movie. I, I, I knew it was okay. A part of the reason I picked this movie or this, you know, film, if you want a short film, if you want to call it that, is because, you know, it has this interesting history that I can definitely delve into and spend the time because, you know, it's 17 minutes. So we have plenty of time in the episode to right, right. go into all this. Uh, some other names involved with it. Um, the director of photography for the film was Vittorio Storaro, who was Coppola's kind of right-hand man, both and and uh, you know cinematographer, director of photography on Apocalypse Now, as well as One from the Heart. Him and Coppola really kind of vibed in terms of their uh, you know artistic ideas. 
good. So good. he was brought in. Uh, the cat's costume designer uh, was brought. I can't remember his name. I forgot to write it down. But the guy who designed the costumes for the original cats was brought in for costumes as well as theater effects. Uh, Rich, oh. Rich ba- Baker, who did the makeup for Thriller, was brought in to do the makeup and effects. Uh, makeup nice. effects. Harrison uh, Ellenshaw, who did effects on the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, was brought in to do the the VFX. And incredible. James Horner, who would later go on to score movies such as Titanic, was brought in to do the uh, you know non dance number score because of course it's a Michael Jackson thing, so there are some songs. But uh, James Horner did the uh, you know orchestral parts. Right, right, right. So. You know, in other words, a pretty damn stacked. Uh, yeah, you the know, crew is crew like all star from top to bottom. Oh, I also forgot to mention a co-writer along with Lucas and Coppola was uh, a man named Rusty Limerande. Rusty Trombone. His name was Lust- Rusty Limerande, and yes, that that last name is very close to being Lemonade. You replace the um, oh. R with an N, and it's uh, Lemonade. I love that. So, that's kind of the production. Of course, um, as I said, most expensive movie ever made compared to its length for at that time. Uh, in the process of making it, some of the people in Disney's Imagineering, who of course you know designed the theme park rides and stuff, right, right. they were a bit up- upset because you know Disney brought in all these outside directors and guys to do it rather than going with them. Yeah, that's um, understandable. It was originally going to be a Peter Pan type ride slash story, uh, but it was changed to um, like a future setting, um, kind of the same plot beats and elements, but switched to the future because the space for this ride was going to be at least in Disneyland in Tomorrowland, and they needed it to fit with the theme of the land. That makes sense. Um, now it was shot in three weeks. But the initial rough cut they had wasn't great, so they then there were some brief reshoots, uh, not by Coppola or Lucas, um, but just some brief stuff, uh, and they got it kind of into shape. The effects were done. Uh, you know, I mentioned James Horner, or not not, not James Horner, uh, Harrison Ellenshaw, of course. But in general, the effects were done by um, Industrial Light and Magic, which was uh, Lucas's right. company, of course. Um, so if you watch this, it's very much got a Star Wars look to, especially the space and the ships and the action in terms of the spaceships. Um, and it was one of the first 4D films. So uh, that's good. Interesting. Wow. Uh, Why now, not, like, do you know what the first one was? No, I don't. I just know this was a very uh, one of the first. Okay. Now, I know that the higher-ups were upset when they saw the rough cut. They thought that uh, Michael Jackson did too many crotch thrusts during the dance. Did he, did he grab his dick too much? Yeah, he grabbed his dick and he, and he, and he jived forward in the air with it. You know? <sighs> but uh, they didn't really know. They couldn't like cut around it. It was like right there in the middle of the screen. So... You, well, I heard he made eye contact with the camera pretty constantly mm. while, gro- while grabbing his dick. There's an outtake, famously, from Captain Yo, where he stares into the camera for, for about 20 minutes straight. They accidentally left it running. An intern got fired because of this. But they left mm. it running. And Michael, without even knowing that it's on, you know, during a break, he's just standing there on the set, you know, 
grabbing his dick and like just staring into the camera while grabbing his dick harder and harder like until he has almost like a fully closed fist by the end with the dick inside wow yeah yeah that's plenty of reason to fire an intern well yeah uh but um uh when it opened it was not a huge critical success of course, Michael Jackson fans and kind of your everyday person loved it, and it was successful. But critics and you know people of you know who are you know they they basically were like for something made by George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola, it did not meet their expectations. So, to speak. <laughs> um, so it opened in '86. Um, of course, as I said, at Disneyland and Epcot. Later, it went on to open in you know the Disneyland. I think can't remember if it was like shanghai or disneyland japan one of the two and then disneyland europe uh it closed at epcot in 94 so just a little under 10 years hey that's not bad um it was shown on tv once uh on mtv in 96 and then it closed at disneyland in 97 replaced with the honey i shrunk the kids ride uh and then, however, after Michael Jackson died in 2009, Disney reopened Captain EO in the same location that it was. They replaced Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, reopened Captain EO, and it ran there in Disneyland until 2014, and in Epcot until 2015 when it closed. And as far as we know at this moment, that's the last uh, of Captain EO in the Disney theme parks. Mm. Any thoughts? I, I mean, I, you know, I'm impressed that it went for, what, eight years? Uh, yeah. On the eight original year. run. So, um, let me, let me do some, some quick math real quick. Uh, so it cost them $2.8 million a year, if you want to break it down like that. Well, you know, what's funny is I saw, there's a, there's a, a person who does film-related YouTube content that I like named Patrick H. Wilms. You guys should check him out. It's a good channel. Uh, but anyway, he had a video series on Francis Ford Coppola, and he mentions in it that because it's like a Disney attraction and that tons of people, you know, probably went to it when it was open, that, um, you know, there's a, pot, there's a strong likelihood that Captain EO is like Francis Ford Coppola's most seen film. Which is which is really funny when you think about like you know him making yeah. stuff like The Godfather and Apocalypse Now, but well, yeah, Captain especially EO. with it being open for eight years, mm-hmm. like that's eight summers of people being in there like jam packed constantly. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yep. So that's kind of the that. behind the scenes at Captain EO. With all that being said, Austin, you ready to you ready to punch this into hyperdrive and 
have me explain the plot of the experience of Captain EO? I am so glad you asked because I'm absolutely ready. Good, because if you said no, I it would have been un- awkward. Because really boring podcast. We gotta we gotta record this now. Get it out on time. <laughs> All right, Captain EO, the Disneyland attraction film. Uh, it's on YouTube in full. Oh, so. You it's on watch Francis it. Ford Coppola's personal YouTube channel. He posted it on Quibi. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. fits the length. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Some our, say it's the first Quibi. Some say. Some say, Austin. So our establishing shot, our opening shot, of course, you have a beautiful galaxy in the background. And starting very small and moving towards the screen, we have an asteroid hurtling towards us. Oh no! As the asteroid oh, hurdles slowly forward, we hear a voiceover, very Star Wars esque, uh, you know, basically like you know, the kind of voice you would hear if the Star Wars opening crawl was narrated. It would sound oh, like this. Oh, like the, uh, like the beginning of episodes of Clone Wars. Very similar to that. Not as not as uh, not as um, newsreely, but oh, okay, because uh, I love that. But shit. more more just kind of you know general generic deep voice narration kind of grand epic narration so we hear the cosmos a universe of good and evil where a small group struggles to bring freedom to the countless worlds of despair a ragtag band led by the uh led by the infamous captain eo (gasps) and then suddenly you okay yeah yeah, i was just a gasp and then a burp all right just checking Thank you so, so much for checking on me. So, so you infamous Captain EO, and suddenly the asteroid explodes, and a cool spaceship thing flies through. Inside the spaceship, we see a two-headed, kind of uh, chicken-esque furry creature that's got two heads. It's piloting Good. the ship. Oh, uh, nice. They're called uh, Edie and Odie. Uh, no relation to African warlord Edie Amin. Just to clear that up. Oh, thank you for clearing that yeah. up. I was confused. Yeah. Um, so they're like, you know, piloting the ship and they're like, the upcoming... I'm going to do the voices, so just so Thank you. you. Know. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. They're like, the upcoming planet doesn't look dangerous. Maybe we should, you know, land there. Um, we better, you know, we, we got to find the landing, the landing pad deck thing. Um, and then uh, on screen appears... Uh, another crew member of the ship, my favorite character by far in this experience. Uh, after seeing it, you know, maybe maybe my favorite character ever. Now, I would die for this character. I love him. Oh, oh okay. His name's Hooter. Oh. He is a little uh, tiny, not tiny, tiny, but like Yoda sized ish. Uh, he's a little blue elephant thing. Uh, you know Max Rebo in Star Wars. The guy in the band. Oh, the, the keyboard? Yeah. He looks yeah, like... Yeah. He's like a knockoff version of that, except even more kind of elephant-esque than Max Rebo. Hence the name Hooter, because he toots his little trunk. Uh, and he's right, wearing... Right. He just wears like a little tank top. He's very cute, and he's got like a... He's like, hey, watch it. You know, he's got one of those voices. Oh, hey. he's got that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. I love him. He's the best. Also, we see 
a uh, a little furry thing that's got butterfly wings, little tiny fluttery thing. Can't remember its name. Who cares? Also, there's like a robot guy who's like he's kind of like Britishy. He's got like a monocle, I think, and a peg leg. And of he's course like, he does. Watch out! What you're doing? That he's very like C-3PO sort of. And then there's also a tiny little robot that doesn't speak. And he's really cute. I know the robots are called the big ones, Major Domo, and then the little one is is Minor Domo. Get it? That's fine. <sighs> I They're do good like too. that. Um, I like that a lot. So, uh, yeah, but definitely Hooter, my favorite by far. Um, now, uh, the, the, the Major Domo, the kind of like, he seems very much like the second in command. He's like competent most. He's like, we don't want to trip the intrusion alarm. Be careful, Edie and Odie. Uh, but then immediately, like a second later, Edie and Odie's like, oh no, we've tripped the intrusion alarm. Oh, uh, of course. And so suddenly we see, uh, like from the back of the ship, like a platform raises up and Captain EO has arrived on the main deck. It's very dramatic. It's, uh, of course, Michael Jackson, Captain EO. He's got like a cool white, like space suit, jumpsuit type thing with like nice. a cool jacket. It's very much like the thriller Imagine the Thriller outfit, like the red jacket and pants, but like white, and it's more kind of like space suit esque. So pretty cool. Okay. Pretty. Okay. Uh, also, his hair—the entire seventeen minutes—is like perpetually wet, or at least it looks like it is. Oh, maybe it's oily. That could be true. Maybe you need to take a shower. He needs uh, a condition. Yeah. Um. So he arrives on crew, and he's like, "What's going on?" And they're like, "We trip the intrusion alarm, sir." And Major Domo's like, we're in no, or Michael Jackson wants them to like go ahead and engage. And the robot Major Domo's like, we're in no condition to, to be in battle. This ship is a mess. I, we need to start cleaning it up. And I suggest we start with, with Hooter's bunk. Uh, and uh, Hooter is like. Wait, 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 they're talking about battle and this guy's worried about hygiene. Well, yeah, he's kind of a, he's, kind, he's a, he's a little prick. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I was hearing that right. Well, yeah, you know okay. he's your, he's your C three PO. He's kind of like a a, a a snooty bossy asshole. Oh, good heavens! Yeah, except he's like more British, so like even worse. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, so he's like, we'll start. We should start with Hooter's bunk and Hooter because Hooter doesn't take no shit. Uh, he throws like a can at the robot. Uh, and because he throws the cam, MJ, uh, delivers one of my favorite, all of, first of all, all of Michael Jackson's lines in this are just like, because it's Michael Jackson and he has like, you know, that such very like soft, high voice, all of his lines are like, the way he delivers them are just very entertaining. But multiple times throughout this film, including right now, after Hooter throws this can, what are you wrestling papers again? I'm fidgeting. I'm sorry. All right. uh, after Hooter throws his can, and it happens again later, Michael Jackson yells kind of like angrily, like Hooter. But like it's Michael Jackson's voice, so he's like Hooter, and it's really funny. Like every time he yells Hooter, he he like angrily like like yells at Hooter is the funniest thing, and I can't I tell you why. That. Hooter, 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 three in the sand. It's right behind you, Hooter. Hooter, Hooter, don't. He's like, Hooter, now's not the time for arguing. Uh, So, you know, he's like, he's like, 
Michael Jackson talks about how he's like, we got to prove ourselves. Command thinks we're a bunch of flunky losers. We got to we got to prove them right. Uh, and so, yeah, apparently they like fuck up a lot of missions or they're going to get and they have to do this one right or else they're going to get kicked out of the nameless rebel Star Wars esque organization they're a right, part of totally not the rebel alliance yeah yeah um so suddenly i guess because they trip the intrusion alarm some enemy ships appear and they kind of this leads our our captain eo and his crew into kind of a dog fight that takes them down you know they're they're fighting they're they're kind of you know dog fighting over the surface of this planet, which very sure, much sure. looks like, you know, like the Death Star. It's basically the Death Star in terms of aesthetic. It's all, you know, metal and scary looking and, you know, the dog fight and they're weaving through the trenches and under really cool. under pipes. You know, it's very, very and much. At this point, I'm sure the whole theater is like moving side to side and like yeah. spraying water on everyone. That's the thing. Reason. I wasn't able to find information on what the exact like 4D elements as they related to the events of the short film. But I'm sure it's something like that as it went along with what happens in the film. So they're flying through this. They're attacked by the enemy ships. Michael Jackson or I can't remember. Someone's like, who's got the map? We need the map to find where we're going to go. We have to find the beacon or whatever. And then I think someone's like, uh, uh, Hooter. Hooter has it. And then Hooter's like, I think I ate it. Oh, Hooter. I know. Uh, He's the worst. He's the worst, but he's the best. Um, on, on this little like hologram screen suddenly like is the face of their like commanding officer guy. And he's like, uh, what's going on? Are you guys in a fight? What are you doing? And Hooters like throws some food on him, even though it's a hologram, it like, it makes the guy so he can't see them, which everyone okay. laughs at and it's fun. Hooters badass. Uh, yeah, Hooter. they're, they're coming up to like, they got to fly into the planet, but they have this kind of big sail esque thing on the back of their ship. For some reason, I don't know what it's for, but they're like, we gotta, we gotta bring in the sail. Hooter, close the sail. But Hooter's short and the button's up high and he can't reach it. So they're like, use what, your, they don't have a ladder. Use your trunk to press it, Hooter. And in the nick of time, Hooter uses his little cute trunk and he presses the button. The sail comes in. They fly through the space and kind of crash land on the scary, spooky metal planet. Uh, and. They apparently, though, when they crashed, they crashed right into the homing beacon, which is good for them. So, you know, the the commander guy's oh, like, nice. follow the map to the supreme leader and give her the gift so that hopefully we can learn to cooperate with this planet. You know, very much kind of Star Trek-esque, like, go go make a positive, you know, go, uh, go have a, you know, diplomatic meeting to hopefully, you know, get these people to be on our side thing. Right, prime directive and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. So, uh, so the problem though, of course, is you know who ate the map. They don't have the map, so they're like, "How are we gonna freaking find the supreme leader?" They exit the ship, the whole crew, all the gang, including Michael Jackson. Uh, and of course, Hooter is the smartest of them all. He rummaging. It's kind of like trash everywhere metal scraps uh-huh. hooters like digging in the trash and michael's like what are you doing hooter and hooter's like i'm disguising myself you gotta have a disguise and he's like putting like a bucket on his head smart and michael jackson's like hooter come on hooter seems like he's the most reasonable of all of them yeah at that same time there we see like creepy people in the shadows and then they they jump out and it's like cyborg robot you know attacking guard people so they attack the gang they capture them they, they basically lead the gang to the Supreme Leader in this kind of, you know, big 
you know, dungeon-esque, uh, you know, evil place. At that point, okay. we see the Supreme Leader, again, played by Angelica Houston. She's basically like, it's kind of like almost like a, you know, like a GLaDOS and Portal thing. Oh. But she's a lady. She's, it's like, she's like a cyborg spider lady looking thing where she's like, you know, it, it's like obviously like a humanoid form, but like from the waist back is like, she's like up and connected into the planet slash, you know, computer. So you can't see her legs. She's kind of just like in, in there and like swivels around. She's got big, like, claws on her fingers. Very kind of, like, insecty slash cyborg-esque. Um, uh, so inside, they're inside this, um, you know, lair. The Supreme Leader's there. Um, basically, she's like, you know, turn all those others into trash cans for Michael Jackson, for him. A hundred years of torture. Uh... And, you know, it seems like the, it's, it's bad. It seems like a bad time for our gang, for our crew of, of misfits. Um, and instead of, you know, trying to like escape and fight back, you know, Captain EO actually is like, no, you're right. I accept the punishment. We did, you know, barge into your home unannounced and, and we're sorry, but we came here because we came to bring you a gift. Uh, Wait, can I can I swing a guess at what the gift is? Yes. Is it the gift of song and dance? That Austin, I think you might be onto something. I think you no. might have. I think you might have uh, a premonition. Oh shit! Am I clairvoyant? Mm. Maybe. Am I clairvoyant? Ah. I see ah. What you're doing there. ah. 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 Okay. <coughs> oh, oh the milkshake's going in my lungs. No, 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 no. So, Don't you know, Eo's like, you know, but we came to bring you a gift because you're very beautiful. And she's like, you think I'm beautiful? And he's like, you're beautiful within. Uh, but it has to be, it has to be, you know, like, un, it has to be found or we have to help you discover it. And so Angelica Houston's like, let me see this gift. And as you just said, Michael Jackson replies with, uh, not only see, but hear. And then, you know, like he like breaks free of the guards on, on him. And he's oh, like, he could have done that the whole time. He's huh? like, all right, gang, hit it. And Major Domo like shoots off his leg, which turns into like a, uh, like a guitar or a bass or something. Oh, perfect. And Minor Domo like extends his little arms and stuff and he turns into like a keyboard thing. Uh, and then the rest of Major Domo like transforms and turns into like a drum set. And so, you know, like Edie and Odie get on the drums and the little fluttery nice. flying thing has the bass and is Hooter just playing his nose as a trumpet. Well, that's a good guess. Cause it does look like it has little places where you could play it, but oh, really? no, um, Michael Jackson starts to, uh, starts to dance, but the guards are moving in. And they need to start the song. And he's like, Hooter, get in your place. And Hooter's like, I'm going. And then Hooter trips. And he accidentally knocks over the keyboard thing and breaks it. And, of course, Michael Jackson's like, Hooter. Uh, as I'll play, I'll be playing the audio clips as I uh, not only imitate them, I'll play the audio clips in the, when I edit it. Um, and you'll, you can, if you go and you'll hear how similar I'm, my, I'm a good impression of it. Um, Hooter knocks it over and he's like, Hooter, hurry up. Come on. Cause the guards are like closing in. They're like all around and like have their pointy sticks at Michael Jackson. And Hooter's like, I fixed it. I did it. And he like presses the keyboard and the song starts up and Michael Jackson, like, like does like a spin move 
and he like shoots all the guards back and then like he like zaps like light at a pair of guards and they transform them from cyborgs into like colorful colorfully dressed like happy looking people who like are like backup dancers um so you know he zaps all these guards they all turn into these backup dancers and kind of join behind him and they're like dancing uh and uh i i remember at one point when he like thrusts his crotch forward like there's like a sound effect like a and it's not michael making that noise it's like the soundtrack they soundtrack like a a, like a percussion to his jock his uh his crotch thrust oh i thought he was like 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 uh cocking a gun oh no no a rifle no it's like a sound effect uh so you know it's dance number music time and of course michael jackson the, the the beat starts up and we get we get a we get a classic and then the music starts up, and he starts singing, and they're breaking it down, and he's like, we are here to change the world, and it's like this whole happy, upbeat song, and they're dancing, and, you know, all the guards now are not mean, evil anymore. Of course. But, uh, you know, the Supreme Leader, Angelica Houston, still, she's not having it, and she's like, uh... Take him down, my whip warriors. Which you know we stand. Yeah, well, we stand a we stand a kinky queen. Uh, Absolutely, we do. Kind of from like the walls of like you know the area beside her, like you know where she's like connected to the wall. Kind of like these like super armored like dudes kind of come out of them, and they've got whips like you know laser whip type thing, nice. harkening back to Johnny Mnemonic, of course. I was about to ask, is it like that laser? Not whip? that one's like a red laser whip. These are like just normal kind of like. I don't know, like a, a, a wire, maybe, like a mm-hmm. thick wire that will zap you if you get hit. Um, sure, sure. So now these laser whip guys, they're kind of like closing in on EO. It seems like he's having trouble, you know, fighting them off. And then the little furry thing holding the base uh, kind of like sneaks in while they're not looking. And they're like cornering Michael Jackson, Captain EO. And the little furry thing of the crew ties the two whips together. So when they go to, like, do the whips, they, like, you know, it, like, you know, they accidentally, like, pull each other down and fall over. And that gives, you know, Michael Jackson, Captain EO, enough time to blast them with, like, his magic, you know, light beam and turns them into, like, happy dancing robots. Happy dancing robots. And so now, you know, now now it's this whole big group and they're all singing about, you know, being there to change the world and positivity. And it's a good beat. It's a groovy beat. Sick bass line. Uh, I'll be playing it. As part of the music of this episode, at least a clip, you'll hear it. Um, so the queen Disney, seems. Please don't sue us. The queen, yeah, don't sue us. The queen seems like you know affected by the performance, and then at the very end, kind of Captain EO like flies up and he like zaps her with his magic beams, and it transforms her from an evil, creepy cyborg lady, and now she's like a beautiful like goddess lady, and the whole setting has changed from evil, you know, metal planet layer to like happy plants and sunshine and everything some real biophilic design huh? yeah yeah uh and so they're all celebrating um and they have like a celebration dance song about like michael jackson's like you're just another part of me and they're like everyone's like bye and the crew's wave waving bye and they all leave and the little furry flying thing flies up directly and looks into the camera and is like bye because uh, it's a 4d ride of course and then their space their ship flies off back into space and you know directed by francis ford coppola
That sounds like a masterpiece. Well, I mean, you add Hooter to something and it's going to be a masterpiece. You know, everything I've ever seen Hooter in, uh, I've loved. I don't understand the chain of restaurants. They don't have anything to do with his character in this. I don't think it's related. I think it's a different Hooter. No, That's Hooter's. Yeah, yeah, it's Hooters is in his restaurant. Well, there's no apostrophe. Yeah, he hides it. Oh. Um, I think Francis Ford Coppola should go back and retroactively put Hooter into all of his previous films before this one. So, like, Apocalypse Now and Godfather and whatnot. All of those. Nice. But, yeah, that's Captain EO. That's um, incredible. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I, I'm going to pause it. Hey, stop knocking, you dingus. I just got to get let in. So, Austin, what what did you think of that? Um, yeah, it sounds like a masterpiece. It sounds uh, like I have no fucking clue why it could have possibly cost $23 million. Yeah, me neither. It literally, like... Was I that mean, the, like, cocaine budget? I don't know. Like, it looks nice, definitely. And it's well made for the time, anyway. You know, the effects are decent. It's nice design. You know, the nice production design, everything looks good. You know, the camera is great. $23 million for a 20-minute movie. But, like, yeah, I do not know where all of that went, necessarily. Like, I... It all, it, it was all, that was all on Hooter's writer. He was like, I oh need, he, he, he has a lot of special requests for uh, his, you know, for his, for his dressing room, you know. So... Like, like looking up other like epic movies, right? Like Pacific Rim, its budget was one hundred and eighty million dollars. Yeah, it's two hours and twelve minutes long. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm just confused. <laughs> so like, this is just like, like a a fourth of Pacific Rim. Yeah, but like not even. Hmm, well. Brad, got... I'm just, I'm just confused. I just, I want to know. I want to see the itemized breakdown of yeah, the budget. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's very simple. There's very little plot. You know, there, there's, it's, it's basically like uh, an intro and then a, a dance number, then, then two short music videos. Uh, but it's very good. It's, it's fun. Like I said, I enjoy, I enjoy all the little effects and and creatures and puppets and robots. That's all really fun. You know yeah. You know what I was struck by? Something that we both enjoy that this reminded me a lot of? Hmm. Uh, I, I, I got big, um, of course, you know, in some regards because it's Star Wars-esque and Lucas involved, but uh, I got big uh, Mission to Zix vibes from this. Yeah, that's what I was, like, picturing the whole time. Like Just, just from it being, like, you know, even though Lucas is involved, it's still like an off-brand, like Star Wars-esque adventure, and you well, have and like the fact a, that they're like the worst crew for the rebellion. Yeah, they're like a shitty, like ragtag crew, and with like you know fun, goofy creatures, and you know, and they they do their little mission that they solve in an unconventional way. In this case, song and dance, Michael Jackson song and dance. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's not hard to see why you know that I could draw that comparison. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, like, it's, like, a fun little sci-fi adventure that's, you know, it's it's definitely, like, kid-friendly. You know, it's not violent or anything. They solve all their problems through dance. Through and dance. They, they don't even kill the villain. They, they like, turn her good. Um, but, you know, it's just a nice, fun little thing. Uh, and, like I said, 
I, I love the little Hooter character. I mean, I liked all the ones, but he's very, I don't know, the good character design of, like, a space elephant little goblin. Yeah. I, like, I looked up a picture of Hooter just now, and I like yeah, him. he's blue. He's blue. I also looked up a picture of Captain EO to see their, their uniform. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very, a, very nice. Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, the music's good. Uh, you know, just good all around. Fun experience. Yeah. Would you watch it? Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it. Since it's 17 minutes and on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to pull it up probably probably after this. Probably right away. All right. Well, that's yeah. good. Any any more thoughts, Austin? Um, no. No? None? No. Head empty. Head empty. Uh... Let me think. Yeah, in terms of Captain EO, I guess I don't really have anything else to say other than, you know, it's a fun little watch. So if you like that kind of stuff, if you like theme parks, if you like sci-fi or creature effects or, you know, George Lucas stuff, or if you're a film fan and just want to see, like, one of the weirder things Francis Ford Coppola made, of course, you know, this might, you probably would enjoy this. Before we go, Austin, this doesn't have to be a segment on every episode, maybe just some, uh, but uh, let's, I wanted to do a thing at the end where, you know, off topic of the, of the subject of the episode, we just talk about something unrelated. Oh. Uh, you could just call it the, the, the last, I'm riffing off the top of my head, but the last minute... Uh, what, are we, what should we call it? The last minute uh, riff. Call it that. Okay. The last okay. minute riff. So, completely unrelated to Captain EO, as I said. Um, what you got for me? What okay. You got in mind, baby so, girl? Austin, uh -huh. you and I, as established previously, been friends for a long while. From since childhood. Yeah, the and childhood. We've been, you know, close for a long time. And, you know, we've kind of had our little dynamic and sense of humor, you know, that's developed over time for a while. And and we have been fond fans, as most can probably tell from this podcast, of of doing bits of, you know, involved setups and characters and, you know, improving and yes anding to dumb stuff. Right, of course. But specifically, we've been using, you know, we call them bits and refer to them as bits and stuff like that. For We've done been doing that for a while, yes? Yes, absolutely. Without question. Okay, is it just me or in, like, the last two to three years, maybe even less, maybe two to one year, has the term bit as, like, the term for when you're doing, like, 
a, a like you know involved like a gag, running like gag. A long gag has that become more like popular and used does that seem more like in the common slang of people more recently it, yes because we've been calling stuff like the dumb running gags and stupid things where we you go along with the other's dumb thing we've been calling that a, we've been referring to those as bits for like you know at least five plus years may probably longer right and we we probably started that because of dynamic banter or at least like yeah that's a podcast for those listening one of our favorites uh or even if not i guess dynamic banter or just you know like you know that steve and source fed and that stuff yeah just like that that sense of humor that internet yeah so definitely comedy. not like yeah we're not claiming we invented using the term bit but uh we i feel like we've, we've been using it for a while and for the for for a while it didn't seem like that was like a common thing like if you said like oh we're just doing a bit i don't know if it seemed like people didn't necessarily knew what you know quote unquote a bit what that means they didn't know that meant like oh a stupid joke where we're you know playing along with the with the gag and right. improving uh but now in the last couple years two years maybe it seems like that kind of term has has become more universal and more people are aware of what a bit is or even you know maybe you know describing things they do as a bit so a couple things i i think especially in the last year like with everyone quarantined that you know people are spending more time on the internet and discovering more niche humor and maybe hearing those kind of words more frequently Mm -hmm. specifically with like tiktok getting as popular as it is Mm. it's a solid point so you think that's why i think that's a large part of it that makes sense yeah i mean i and i mean i don't have any problem with it like i'm fine definitely not like People do. I love bits, so more people want to do. More people are into weird humor, the better. Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was weird that it suddenly seemed to be more of a common, colloquial, you know, a common term and less of just like a niche term for people who are really into like you know comedy stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was the interesting. That was my little random thing I wanted to discuss with you. Thought it would be an interesting little last minute thing to throw in on this episode. Uh. I guess that's all I really have to say, Austin. Yeah, that's all I got. Well, uh, if I'm able to do the thing I want to be able to do for next week's episode, we're going to have a pretty another episode, as with this one and as with last week, where the kind of creative process and creator of the thing is quite strange, quite a strange history, a strange person, and a supposedly strange end product. Uh, if I do that, so hopefully that happens. So buckle up for that. And oh, I'm uh, yeah, follow us on our Twitter. It's at capital E number two, capital A podcast. So E two A podcast. Um, on Twitter, it's always linked in the notes for the show. Um, I guess for this episode, I'll link that defunct land video on Captain EO and its history. Smart. Uh, because that's where I got a lot of my uh, facts for this from, and it was really good. So if you like this video, or not this video, if you like this podcast, <laughs> maybe check that out if you're into like theme park stuff. Definitely delve into that channel. There's a whole lot of fun content there. Yeah, highly recommend it. So with that said, good episode, yeah, Austin. Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty good one. 
And I uh, was pretty happy about the subject matter. Yeah. And so, with that being said, I'm Peyton Brock. And I've been Austin. And we'll see you next time on our show. Get back to it. We're going to see it. Oh, wait. Hold on, Austin. One last thing.